<laughs> Welcome to the Gothic Month edition of the Chawton House podcast with Lizzie Frisbee, as I take you behind the scenes of the making of Tales of Terror, gothic stories by the virtual fireside. Jane Austen listed as one of her horrid novels 
in Northanger Abbey. And it's a bit cheesy at times. It's got the usual appearance of ghosts and horrifying murders and a profusion of picturesque description. But <laughs> to me, it really captures the attributes of a Gothic novel because on the surface, these uh, later Gothic romances, there's this appearance of the supernatural because there's always ghosts and ruined castles, empty tombs and abandoned abbeys. But at the heart of them all is usually the very, the very real threat of dangerous men trying to take advantage of vulnerable women. There's always this villainous uncle who's trying to ruin the virtue of the poor maiden who is in need of help and she falls in love with a sensitive soul who shares a love of poetry. But um, Anne Radcliffe, who is sort of the queen of the Gothic literature at this point, um, and the highest paid writer of the 1790s, she was particularly adept at this sort of writing of terror rather than horror. To her, writing the gory and the macabre is low art, whereas inspiring a sense of terror in her readers was high art. And yes, she can write about spooky ghosts and uh, torture chambers, but to her, what's far more frightening, and to the reader as well, is patriarchy and greed, and just how far men are willing to go in order to gain wealth at the cost of abusing women. So Night 2 is dedicated to Anne Radcliffe, and it's the Mysteries of Udolpho, but it is four volumes long, and although I cut down The Midnight Bell, which is already quite short, I couldn't even begin to cut down Udolpho, so I've just kind of extracted some spooky bits and spliced them all together. Very nice. Yeah. Sounds good. And so when you say terror versus horror, mm. is it in the sense that the terror is almost more relatable to us than horror would be? Yeah, well, I mean, with Anne Radcliffe, she sort of very famously talks about terror being, if you were to put it in an analogy, um, when you're standing at the top of a mountain and whilst you're absolutely terrified of the surroundings, you're unbelievably scared, part of that terror is involved in the sublime beauty of what you see before you, whereas horror almost is the fear that pitches you forward off the edge of it. You have no time to sort of appreciate the thrill of what you see right. because you're just so scared and so frozen. So with Anne Radcliffe, say, she will build up a scene for a heroine to find something ghastly and just at the moment when the narrative is about to describe what it is then she'll cut away almost so she like builds the suspense um, and then later on explains it in more real terms whereas horror might be Emily sees before her this awful gory body and then it could go into great detail about that to her she's not interested in that because in a way anyone can do that sort of any old hack whereas to her it's it's about establishing suspense. So can we still expect a few ghosts in and amongst those stories then, as Halloween is about ghosts, really, isn't it? I suppose <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, well, there's certainly in the Mysteries of Udolpho, this sort of spectre appears before her. And in the extract that I've got um, Dom reading... That's never explained, so it's left to the listener's imagination. Mm -hmm. But I suppose anyone who's read the book will know. No spoilers alert here. 
So we've got lots to look forward to, definitely worth watching. Yeah, and then the third night is dedicated to Queen Goth herself, Mary Shelley, who, um, just to give you a sense of how gothy she is, apparently lost her virginity on her mother's grave, so... Oh my! Years! How do you find a fact like that out? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. And I don't know if... I've just completely gotten that wrong, but... um, (laughs) Um, but yes, and Frankenstein is her most famous of course. Um, work, and it's probably the most famous modern gothic story, as well as being arguably the first science fiction novel. But um, we're focusing tonight on her lesser-known novella, Matilda. And so outrageous was the subject matter that it wasn't published until 1959, well after her death. And... Um, I've been talking so far about gothic romances, but this work is probably more romantic, romantic with a capital R, um, because it contains these common themes of solitude, a love of nature, but also incest and suicide. And it's really beautifully written. And at times it was quite difficult to cut down. um, And I I sort of was lamenting over it. I got it got it down from 32,000 words to about 11,500 words. Wow. Although at times the text is a bit verbose and sometimes repetitive, so I, and I cut what I, can, what I considered a few unnecessary subplots. Also, there's quite a few alas throughout it. I was like, oh, another one, come on, come on. there's just so many. <laughs> alas. Alas. <laughs> alas. She's, she's very down, the main character, Matilda, because of the traumatic circumstances that before her. Wow, that sounds really good. Very excited to see what it is on when we finally get to watch it and seeing it come to life from behind the scenes has been very exciting. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add in for our listeners? Um, so you can buy your tickets online to Tales of Terror and we will release the link ahead of time and then the link will go live at the appointed hour, at the appointed day. There's three different Tales of Terror, or you can buy a ticket to a virtual ticket to all three as a bundle. And yes, enjoy it, really. Yeah. <laughs> Not to get us into the mood of uh, October. Exactly. It happens <laughs> on the three nights of Halloween, so 29th, 30th, and 31st. So fantastic. There won't be any triple treating this year, I don't think. So Exactly, there's nowhere else to be. Exactly. <laughs> no excuse. This is the only way that you're going to get your taste and pleasure of Halloween this year with Chawton House. What a miserable wretch has the Baron made me. Oh, madame, if you really possess that pity for my forlorn state, your words seem to pronounce, I beseech you tell me what you know of my mother. It is now too late, said Madame Clarence, and with a heavy sigh. You had better retire to rest. My orders are not to speak to you or give you any information, but I am sorry for your distress. I will take an opportunity of having some further conversation with you. Madame Clarence then bade her good night and quitted the chamber very abruptly, leaving Ethel Weiner, overcome with astonishment and grief. Weiner, yeah. I thought it was Weiner. Yeah. 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 By itself, doesn't sound right, but it is, yeah. Ethel Weiner hastily undressed herself and went to bed. 
Her troubled spirit and agitated body wanted repose, and she tried to court the friendly aid of sleep. I'm here with Dom, who's been one of our lovely actors of our ghost stories tonight. How has it been going? So far, so good. I think we're about a, a third of the way through. We've got a lot to get through. It's really fun, though, and it's amazing to be in such a fantastic setting to do it by the fire and everything. Mm, and is it your first time dressed up in gothic attire? Uh, no, and in fact, one of the extracts is the Mysteries of Udolfo, and um, I've actually done bits of that before, because I was in an adaptation of Northanger Abbey a few years ago, and um, this adaptation actually jumped back, I suppose in the way that the book does, but it jumped into kind of flashbacks and scenes from, from that. So yes, in that I was fully gothic, made gothic. Can't find a, another way of saying it. Yes, so no, I've done it, done it a little bit. I haven't worn makeup for an incredibly long time though, so that's quite a treat. <laughs> Well, it looks great. And <laughs> so you're so you're quite comfortable in in the sort of used to the whole gothic thing then. Yeah, I sort of love it. Really? I think actually it's probably my period. I think the sort of eighteenth, nineteenth century. I probably really? yeah. I seem to do the the work I do is very often set very much in that time. So oh, and I like the history of it. It's a fascinating period, isn't it? I was, yeah, I was gonna say if you could go back to any time in history, then would it be? The 18th century. Oh gosh, that's really hard. Do I only get one trip? How does this work? <laughs> Just to take about three trips, let's say, if you've got three. I don't know. Yeah, well, I suppose you probably have to include that period at some point. I think I'd probably have to check Shakespeare out as well to see oh, if yeah. he actually existed. Cool. I think he did. <laughs> go back and sort of rescue some of the lost plays. That's really sad, isn't it? I could go back any time and I choose that. I mean, I mean, that is amazing, isn't it? But there are probably still more important times... Well, would you try and interfere? That's an interesting point. Would you try oh, and change no. the past? No, no. You're just well, an observer. I don't know. Myself, I have no idea what I'd do. I'd, I feel I am more of an observer. I mean, that's what I do. Podcasting, radio, I'm just there eavesdropping and everything, yeah. really. I actually think, I actually think, <laughs> however insane the world is right this moment, I think I'm quite happy in the time that we are, I think. Because actually, I think if you go back, you would be disappointed. Maybe. Things wouldn't be quite right. If, if it's not what you know, if yeah. it's not what you know. Because we can slightly sanitise the past, can't we? We can make it look a bit more beautiful. Yeah, like in even all the sort of adaptations and stuff, can't you? The novels and things. I'm sure people's teeth are better today <laughs> than they were back then. And, <laughs> Indeed. You know. Yeah, and in terms of Halloween and spooky novels, are you one for reading horror yeah. stories and spooky novels? Yeah, no, I really love that. I've done quite a bit um, for the... I did it at Barry St. Edmunds actually a while back as well. But yeah, no, I've always, I've always liked that. Um, there's some great ghost stories out there, like The Monkey's Paw. Do you know that one? That's a, that's a really... You should read that one. I okay. think you'd like it. Um, yeah, so I've often done various theatres and large country houses and things, readings for Halloween. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm always up for that. Always. And have you had a favourite? Ah, what, place or story? What do you think? Story. Story. Well, actually, the monkey's paw is pretty good, actually. Yeah. Um, I suppose there's the signalman as well, Dickens. Um, a couple of really good Dickens ones, actually. I've done, I do a lot of Dickens in my kind of work, so I'm always sort of rifling through his stuff. But actually, I think, funnily enough, I think really good ghost stories are more contemporary, but set in the past. Yeah, why is that? People think that the past is scarier. I don't know, maybe yeah. because it's just it's somehow out of reach a little bit. Yeah. It's kind of mysterious and unknown. 
So you can, yeah, maybe it's a bit shadowy, isn't it? And when things are a bit more primitive, it's scary. You're a bit more remote or isolated. You can't get on Twitter yeah. and say what's going on. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, no, no social media, that means the whole world is just yeah. <laughs> a scary place. Yeah, absolutely. But I like The Woman in Black, for example, is really good, isn't it? I yeah. think that's great. Okay. And obviously that's set the turn of the century and everything, isn't it? So, yeah. Great. And what's your favourite of the ones that you're preparing for us tonight? Um, I think, um, I really think the, the Mary Wollstonecraft's one uh, is, is fantastic. The title has literally just gone out of my head, though, because we were just recording The Midnight Bell, which is somebody else's name. What's it called, the Wollstonecraft one? This is where you cut in and go, it is cool. Da, da, da. <laughs> I should know this. Yeah, I should really know this. I'm doing it. It's gone out of my head. It's really good. I think they're all really good, actually, because actually sometimes on the page, some of these older stories look a little, feel a bit silly that you can't make anything of them. Mm. But I think you find that when you do them, when you put your back into it, you can actually make them really, really good. And when you've got the amazing sort of authenticity of the whole. Yeah. Like, like there's no two ways about it here yeah. at Jordan House. You guys have all done it how it should be done. So then if you jump on that one, Louisa, as well, that one's going to be running from this side. This one? Yeah, if you have a little look. So we've got that angle there. Yeah. ghost story evening as you have been in charge of not only the makeup of our lovely actors but you have been in charge of the lighting and the whole filming really so almost the whole behind the scenes really <laughs> then there's only me <laughs> it's uh, I think here it's like you wear so many different hats and it's like I've worked with these guys now I think nearly three years and it's just progressed and progressed and it's just so much fun and they're a really bunch of good guys to work with so you know, I never know what they're going to ask me next yeah. <laughs> Is this your first time doing the Halloween kind of thing? No, we did Halloween last year and that was just makeup and basically stills and that was a crazy night I've done makeup for quite a few years and probably about seven, eight years um, and I trained while I was overseas just to sort of enhance the photography. I was doing a very different genre then. And then from there, I came back to the UK and I concentrated on more commercial work. So I don't really do the makeup all the time, but I do it for these guys, basically. Yeah. Um, so what is the trick to making the makeup for them look so gothic, I suppose? Well, just a bit of research. Um, then I'm led by them. I mean, they live and breathe it here, like, all the time. True. So <laughs> and I say, OK, what do you want? Um, basically, I just have to sort of produce. Um, and there are keys, certainly, to uh, 
you know, makeup in front of a camera mm-hmm. um, more so than a day-to-day look. So, yeah, I mean, I've done it a few times with the guys. It's worked out quite well. Yeah, I'm a bit more on the fabulous. subtle side, um, but sometimes they go a bit crazy. Like last year <laughs> was a bit too crazy and I had to calm down a bit. But, um, yeah, I think we've nailed it tonight. I think yeah. they look really good. That's great. And in terms of the sort of the whole filming and getting the lighting right, how did you envision that? I think as a photographer, you you know, that's just experience over the years. And I've, I've worked from studio through to, you know, all different scenarios of photography. And when you're a commercial photographer, you work in such different fields and you have to create different feeling to certain images and... I'm not a big one for Photoshop, I'm a bit old school photographer, so yeah, it's just years of it, and it's just, all photography is, is bending and using the light. Mm. And do you find it maybe a bit of a, more of a challenge here at Dawson House in that great hall, because we've got the fire going, and we've got all these different lights going on? Yeah, I mean, you have to look how it's, hitting your subject so a lot of photography is basically um sitting back and actually just looking for a while i mean i teach photography here um we're i'm teaching twice a month at the moment because of covid but normally i just teach once a month and sometimes when it's hammering down a rain up here we just stay in the house and people panic because they haven't got the light and it's just that's all it is, is using and being able to manipulate the light. Yeah, well, it looks fabulous and I cannot wait to see the end product online at the end of the month. Me too. The Marquis will be put off no longer. The solitude and horrors of this place I thought would have made her immediately consent. But near two months have passed and she has neither complained nor agreed to my results. I will see her. If she continues regardless, I must try other means. I hope you enjoyed the sneak peek of the Tales of Terror. Head on over to the Chawton House website to find out more about our Gothic month here. Thanks to Claire Lewis for makeup, photography and filming. And to our actors, Dominic Gerard, who trained at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. And to our very own Cleo O'Sullivan and Louisa Carpenter. Take care. The opening guitar strumming was Guitalele's Happy Place by Kara Square, found on ccmixter.org.